0: The University of California, Riverside presents Blue, Gold and Black, the podcast that's dedicated to amplifying black voices at UCR. I'm Dominique Bill from UCR's Community Engagement and Outreach Unit. In each episode, we'll be talking to UCR students, campus leaders and community partners to explore the intersection of being black and being a Highlander at UCR. And I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. Let's get started. Alright, everybody. Welcome back to Blue, Gold, and Black, where we are amplifying black voices here at UCR. My name is Dominique Beale. I am your host. And today we have a really special guest. Dr. Raquel Rahl is joining us from the Graduate School of Education. She's going to be talking to us today a little bit about her areas of research and some of the courses that she teaches here at UCR. And we're also going to get a little bit of her background story and a little bit of her history so we can add some context to all of the great work that she's doing here at UCR in trying to make sure that Black students are being supported. Uh, Dr. Rawl, how are you doing today?
1: i'm doing good, how
0: about you i'm doing pretty good, super happy it 's a Friday today, so hey. <laughs> making sure we could try and stay out of the heat as well <laughs>
1: right.
0: um, but thank you so much uh for giving us a little bit of your time we 're super happy to have you here um yeah, so let's go ahead and just dive in. If you could really quickly, Dr. Rall, um, go ahead and tell us um, what it is exactly um, that you instruct here at UCR and some of the other roles that you have here at the university.
1: Sure, so I am an assistant professor of higher education in the Graduate School of Education, so all of my courses are housed in education and I teach at both the undergraduate and the graduate level. And for the graduate level, that means master's students as well as PhD students. So at the undergraduate level, I teach a course, um, Ed 51, which is kind of like a critical issues in higher education course. We look at a lot of things that are pressing for the time. Right. Like so if we were doing it today, it would be like COVID, Black Lives Matter, all these different things will be going Mm -hmm. on in that. So that's a fun course to teach to undergrads. Um, I also teach a, a first year, first quarter seminar for freshmen, kind of like an intro to education um, that's ed 93 and then for upper division um let's see under undergraduates i have education 151 which is like women control university. so it talks about education and leadership governance administration all these different things and just kind of a, who's excluded so it's women but that's in parentheses because we know that typically men and more specifically white men kind of lead institutions of higher education and then at the graduate level i teach courses like Um, at 248 which is scholarship and literature so we talk a lot about you know some of the core pieces of higher education we work on um, writing a literature review I teach a course on higher education governance which is 248G where we talk about how the institution is governed right like who are these movers and shakers who make the decisions on behalf of the people who are on the ground if you will so that's um, one of my favorite courses to teach I also teach organ admin which is education 248O which takes a slightly different um, direction of that. Still talking about leadership and people who are in control, but looking at like the administration, because there's a difference between administration and governance. Take the Mm. class and you'll know. Um, And then what else do I teach? Uh, And I'm doing a brand new course this year. I'll teach one on Black Brilliance Matters. We're talking about the role and experience of um, blacks in higher education. So looking at it from various stakeholder groups, and that will be teaching that in the winter. I think that's everything. I probably forgot something. (laughs) all those are not taught in one year, right? I alternate sometimes, but that's kind of like the span of of my instructional um, load.
0: Nice. No, yeah, that's really amazing. Um, Very busy, very busy, I can see. Um, And so with those courses that you take, obviously, we're a research uh, one university. So kind of shed some light on some of the specific areas of research that you partake in, kind of in conjunction, but also outside of the courses you teach specifically.
1: Absolutely. So I think that, you know, my courses a lot of times are an outgrowth of my research and, and both of those, of courses and my research are outgrowth of me. So they're necessarily intertwined and, and deal with things that I'm passionate about, which are leadership and race. And so my, I would define my research at that, that intersection of leadership, governance, race, equity, all those different things. And how do we put them together and how do we not continue to keep them in these separate silos? Mm-hmm. Um, because often we talk about leaders, but we don't want to talk about equity, right? And that sort of thing. Or we talk about equity, but we don't talk about leaders specifically. I look at governing boards of higher education. So if you're thinking about the UC, that would be like the Board of Regents. So I wanna look at those individuals who have by by law, right? They have this de jour control, like completely like the law control of, of the institution, but no one really knows who they are, right? And then these movers and takers, but they and they delegate a lot of their powers, but um, I think because they're out of the, the limelight a lot they can get away with a lot more and I don't think that that's okay and I, I also don't think that they're in tune um, as much as they should be with what's happening on the ground especially with people who don't look like them because the majority of uh, governing boards across the nation and we're talking about especially public boards but private boards too but there's a different kind of appointment and selection for that are older wealthy white men mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. as we know um, higher education still has a ways to go with diversification right and inclusion all these different things but it doesn't look like that anymore right it looked like that back in the day but we look a lot different which ne- necessarily means for me that we need different perspectives and so I look at the ways in which these people this small group of elite um, folks who really and, and sadly I feel like um, they don't have a background in higher education right they don't have a background in education they primarily come from business and all these different walks of life but then they're making decisions on behalf of institutions of higher education, right? And on behalf of people who don't look like them. And so I try to push that to kind of make, um, you know, move equity from the periphery to the core in those conversations and that decision making, like how can we have um, equity be central in all the decisions? How can we make sure that they understand that equity is not separate from, but every decision is an equity decision. So if we're going to increase tuition, that's an equity decision, right? Like it's not just a a bottom line, a dollar decision. It's like, who will we then be pricing out? Who are we excluding, right? Are we excluding people of color, low SES, all these different things. So I think that that's really important and we haven't focused on that group enough. Uh, And it's really important because uh, it's hard for us to diversify that field because in public institutions, that's a gubernatorially appointed position, and we know that, like you know, forty-seven out of the fifty governors we have are white men too. So it, it perpetuates this cycle, right? And so if the governor can appoint these folks by really no qualifications, then we have this thing where systematically, right, and systemically we continue to have white men, a white governor appoints white board members who then appoint white chancellors and presidents who then appoint, you know, and so for me, that's a problem. It's like a, like, something's not right with this picture. And then yeah. the other piece of race, you know, I included all in that, but then I also just have this passion for um, achievement and success for, for black students, right? Going along the, the preschool through 20 pipeline, right? And so thinking about how the role of families, communities, all these things matter for black students, and we need to consider these things and how do we make them successful? Like that, that ultimately everything I do ties back to that because that's who I am, right? And I want to make sure that we're looking at the ways in which we can have more and not, right, more black students be successful to get not only to but get through higher education. To go and then become, you know, whatever they're gonna be and then come back and make sure that, that pathway is open so more people can even come in. Like we're just shepherding more and more folks in to be successful. Long answer, but I'm passionate about it, so sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's all good. And you know, before we kind of take a trip down memory lane and kind of get into your backstory, can you just expand a little bit on this idea of governance? as it pertains to higher education and like you said you mentioned the board of regents and I didn't know that a governing body like that existed you know until I started working in higher education I think it's very important for prospective students but especially current students to like know who these people are right like when we're looking for a new president of the entire UC system they're the ones that are on the hunt for this new president so it's like Yes, you do have a president of the UC system, but they still answer to a governing board of some sorts. And I really like that you mentioned that a lot of times people that get placed into these governing boards are CEOs from the private sector and things like that. And it can very dangerously implement a business model into higher education that should be a, or at least as it pertains to the UC, public higher education where we should not be focusing things according to our bottom line, right? It should be about access, equity, and the spreading of resources. So really, before we kind of just dive into your story, really kind of hone in on that idea of governance and why it's important for students, especially Black students, to be aware that these governing bodies exist within our institution.
1: Yeah, I mean... this is like my bread and butter. I harp on this all the time. I love when I see students have this light bulb, like what? There's a board? Yes, exactly. And not even just a board, but in in the UC, you know, they have one of the longest tenures. Like you you get on the board for 12 years and you could be reappointed. So there are some board members who've been there for 20 something years. So you think about the reach, the scope, uh, the breadth of their influence and their power. Um, Multiple UC Presidents, right? Multiple chancellors. They also appoint every single chancellor, right? All that sort of thing, and then it trickles down. They determine tuition. Um, you know, their name is the one on your your diplomas and all these sort of things. So they have a lot of power that we we don't think about. Um, and so I think it's so important for people to understand that. And the problem is, and I, and I kind of alluded to it before, is that if you're not in these tight circles with these power make, you know, these decision, these decision makers you will never know, you won't have access to that. And until we get more people in those positions, we won't be able to change that. So I'm always pushing my students to even, you know, apply for the student region position, which is a two year position. Um, You only get one as a vote, but you're there for two years. And so you think, you know, you don't have as long as, the the layman trustees, but you have some time, right? There's other positions that you can get by um, your ex officio status and that sort of thing. But I think it's so important that we think about these positions because as as I mentioned, they go under the radar so often and and we've seen throughout the nation over the, you know, bunch of years that when something hits the fan, if you will, it's the chancellor or the president to go. But who put those people in power, right? It's these boards and they don't have to go. Like they the, the majority of boards do not have a clause that says a removal clause unless they choose to like they can sit down but there's nothing that will remove these folks so you think about what job can you have in the nation for 12 years guaranteed that nobody can kick you out and that you also don't have to have any real qualifications for other than the governor is your homie in other and board. you, you know, create and the that, rules and, for that board absolutely and that and that's really what it is you know i've spoken to board members and i'm like oh you know how did you get on the board well Governor such and such, and I went to kindergarten together. We've known each other forever. So that's how they get this connection, right? It's not because I'm so qualified. It's not because I'm so passionate about higher education. And let, let me let me stop and say, that's not to say that all of them are not like that, that of some course. of them don't have passions for it So I, I understand that. But, but my issue that I take up a lot of times is that, if we have no qualifications, it's so easy to perpetuate this cycle of just exclusiveness, right? We could just pick and choose however we want, because we don't know what metrics that we're looking at these folks. We don't know, you know, even just apply, right? So few, um, you know, there's very few like university of Hawaii, like they had their board. You have to actually apply, but imagine you get this job. You don't have to apply. There's no application for the UC board to read, right? Like it's just, it's mind-boggling to me that you can have all this power, but not have to be intentional about getting it. It can just come to you. Right. And so, um, that's why I think it's important. I think it's important for accountability measures Like we have to be able to hold these board members accountable. And if we don't know who they are and what they do, we won't be able to do that, right? And so that's really important. We don't get to see them. Like we can hold our teachers, you know, professors accountable like, hey, that's not what you said because we see them. Like they have a syllabus. We have this binding kind of contract together, right? We can do the same thing with people who are on our institutional campuses. But if you have these individuals who are governing the entire system that might not be on your campus, right? And, and I think strategically oftentimes have board meetings in you know, like Half Moon Bay where all the people are not there and only occasionally come down here and have these meetings. Um, that, that to me is problematic, right? Like I can tell a story about how, you know, I've gone to board meetings and I've been patted down. They have more security sometimes than going to any other place. And it's like, why are we protecting these people like this? You know, and I know there have been stories of things that have gone awry, but you just think about the import and the power that these people have and that people don't know who they are like that's that's real power when people don't know who you are like that that idea of you know you want to be that unknown wealthy like nobody wants to be you know everyone might, might want to be Beyonce right she has a lot of money but everyone knows that she can't live her life peacefully fewer people know Warren Buffett right he can walk up and down the street and he has that long money but he can live and be free so that's what these board members are doing right They're they're having this power exerting this power and no one could really kind of name them few people can can name them right and hold them accountable for these different things and so I think it's important to know about them and then at the same time they're getting a lot of connections out of it right so you think about having all the movers movers and shakers at one table and it's like oh yeah let me get into this now too like I have an investment banker now my social capital is growing you know my my actual capital is probably growing based on all these different things and so it's just so it's so interesting and I think it's so important because what they do touches every single facet of higher education um you know you think about something that like 209 that was passed in 96, right? Like, and that it's on, ba- on, on the ballot to get repealed. That came from a board, the Board of Regents, right? Board Cumley, who was a board member, put that up and said, let's do this, right? And then whether you agree with it or not, but that's how it got approved and you know, all these different things kind of trickle down. And you see the effects that we've had, like everyone knows the research on that. Like ever since then, applications, um, enrollments of black folks, brown folks has just declined. And that's a board decision. Like if they, what they do, man it's just a ripple effect so it's it's so important how to
0: care about what they do no one thousand percent and you know part and it's kind of ironic because part of the way to i guess check their power of sorts is just to make sure that people know that they exist you know that that concept of you know you know working from the shadows and you know what i'm saying pulling all the strings Um, But I I definitely kind of want to talk to you a little bit more about possible ways that, you know, people, quote unquote, on the ground, right, staff, faculty, students even can hopefully maybe start moving towards changing some of these practices. But really quickly, I I definitely want to give the opportunity for our audience to just really get to know you a little bit more to really add that extra context into all of this great work that you're doing. Um, so if you can, can you kind of just start off by telling us um, uh, where you grew up and kind of what what was education like in your household growing up as a young child throughout elementary school even?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I started up like a, a lot of black folks um, in the 80s. Right. My parents moved us when we used to live in Gardena and Carson, moved us to the city of Diamond Bar, which was and still is. I shouldn't say was still is predominantly white and Asian. Right. So grew up there, um, did elementary, middle and high school there. Um, so very much that story we hear about the only one or one of few in the class. That was me, especially when I got to the higher levels um, where I was taking AP classes, honors classes. And it was I was the black female in the class. Right. And often I haven't, you know, I can still name their names, but maybe one black male in the class with me or it was just me. Right. That sort of thing. And so that has, I think, shaped a lot of what I do, because I understand um, kind of the gatekeeping that happens with that uh, and recognizing that that that's not a place you, you want to be in but it's a place that we have to occupy sometimes in order to make it so that the next generation that's not what it looks like right and so I'm very intentional about that and I think about that you know with my four daughters but you know growing up my parents were very um, supportive and wanting me you know I have an older sister and a younger brother but wanting us to do great right and that sort of thing and it was kind of like This idea uh, for my mom, like good enough never is, right? And then I think I have that in myself early too. You know, I was that child who would cry if I missed one, Um, and so now hindsight, it's not that deep, people, right? You'll be okay. But um, I try to tell my children that too. But I was, I was, and still am my own worst enemy. Like I'm, I'm harder on myself than anyone else could possibly be, right? Because I want to be great, and and I want to exude that, you know. And part of that comes from my family. Always telling me um, that you know all you have is your name, right? What do you want people to think about when they see your name? That you don't want them to think like, "Oh, this person is sloppy." They don't know what they're doing, all this kind of stuff. So you need to exude that greatness, you know. And something that my dad used to always tell me is like, "You you make them as uncomfortable as they want to make you," right? And and so what he meant by that, and what he would always tell me is that if you are great, that shakes them up so bad they are like cringing in their booth because this little black girl. Is a top person in this class. A little black girl is a student body president. This little black girl, right, and all these different things, and you know, it also stems from the the encouragement of my mother, who every single day before I, I got out of the car for school, or you know, if I was walking before I left the house, she would say, "And who are your ancestors?" Um, you know, like that sort of thing, uh, and then I would have to say, "African kings and queens," and then she would say, "And what does that mean?" And I would say, "That nobody can get me down." Right, every single day, just this rooting of like you're going out there, you're representing, you might be by yourself, right? And so I have the instances where, you know, people ask white people, oh, do you taste like chocolate? Calling me the N word, you know, all these different microaggressions and microaggressions. But um, I guess I felt so, so rooted with my family and knew that they would be there to ride or die, right? Like literally my mom would be in the office on the phone. Like I knew that if anything popped off, my mom would be there she would take the lead for education but my dad would be there backing her up like he would let her do all the talking but he would be standing there or you know just on a random day i would see my dad on the campus behind a pillar just looking like he was that kind of dad that would always just let you know i'm watching i'm safe i'm watching them like i have my eyes on on everything that's going on and and luckily you know and i'm not telling a fib here you can ask my parents they'll tell you that i was a good kid i didn't want i, I don't until this day i don't like trouble i don't want to get in trouble so I let me do what i need to do so i can stay out of trouble i've seen people get trouble um, you know I've had one butt whooping in my life and that was a group <laughs> butt whooping because no I wanted to tell because I don't need to learn that lesson right like I, that's just my mentality but um, but knowing that if I did mess up or knowing that um, when I did succeed like it would make them proud that that to me was was phenomenal right like and that was something that I always wanted to do and so I had this in me and then my, my parents I you like know, oh you could do this like when I made my you know was going to make my list for colleges my, you know, my, before I started freshman year of high school, my mom gave me this. She's like, you take these classes and whatever school you want to go to, that's where you'll be. Right. And so this is for a person who I got into all the schools I applied to. Then we're talking about Harvard, Stanford, Yale, Princeton, you know, all the Ivy's, all these great schools mm. and at the same time still in high school. And I'm doing, I'm obviously performing having AP calculus teacher tell me that, you know, all it's ever going to be was a housewife, like all these different things. And you're just like, are you serious right now? Like So you're always dealing with this warring environment, right? This warring identity of you're great, but they still just see this, right? Like Mm. my mom says, when your skin is kissed by the sun, right? Like when you have this melanin, Mm. sometimes it's so hard for them to just even see past that, right? And so um, me trying to be great, doing these great things, being a leader um, and just standing out, I think that was a way for me to... In a way, like, you know, that's my resistance. Like, y'all ain't gonna talk about me because what? Here's that A. What? There's that other A. You know, like that sort of thing. But it was also a way for me to make connections with um, staff and faculty, you know, on campus and that sort of thing. So I could be, you know, make those connections be student body president, be class president. Um, be captain of all these sporting teams, have access to, you know, programs. They need somebody to be the the voice of whatever, you know, our class. that I would be the one to ask to leave class and go and do that. So I could do that so that me and another African-American male who's now going to be the first president of the Washington football team. Right. He was my classmate. We were co-voted most oh. likely to succeed. Right. And so you think about that greatness that comes from that. And then, you know, we came from the same, um, Community organization, the Council of African American Parents, our, our families were a part of that for so long. We were coming up fighting against a system that would have us not placed in gate, not placed in the honors classes, even though we were the top students. Right. And so That's just what we did, and we didn't know anything else, and and these families held us accountable, so if our parents weren't there, we knew somebody else's mama and daddy was going to be there, and they was going to tell our mama and daddy if we weren't there, and that, oh, if we saw somebody on campus, we would tell something was happening. Like So before anything could pop off, the families knew, right? So, I mean, that that, that community idea, I think is so important, and we we talk about that a lot in our our community, in the Black community. Like, you know, it takes a village and all these different things, but really, that was something that we had to have in a place that was, not for black people at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like there were enough, we could count them, right? The people (laughs) that Mm -hmm. we had, but yet still we were doing these, these great things. So.
0: No, and I, you know, one thing that I love is, you know, the, the affirmations that your mom provided to you, like, right. Who are your ancestors? Where do you come from? What does that mean? Um, Because really what that was doing was just ultimately preparing you for what you were going to face out in quote unquote, the real world. Right. And it kind of gives you an armor of sorts, right. Because hearing your AP calculus teachers say that to you, you know, hearing other students ask you um, stupid questions about your skin or, you know, making derogatory comments, like it, You know, and I think it puts a high emphasis on all of the work that you're doing, because for black boys and girls, you know, um, the the educational system can be a very violent place and not necessarily not necessarily violence in terms of like physical harm, um, but the mental harm and the emotional harm that can come with it. You know, when we look at things like disproportionate suspension rates or, you know, uh, uh, students being placed in, you know, uh, uh, learning disability classes when they don't belong there and not getting called on. Like, right, we see all of this research, all of these studies about how, you know, um, you know, our youth is still uh, attacked in these systems. So it's very, very important that at least at home to the best of your ability that you can be properly socialized, um, and nurtured and taught to love who you are, um, as a black woman. So to me, uh, you know, that, that's very, very special. And, um, definitely I can tell that kind of sets you on the path that you're on now and a, for you to be able to navigate these spaces. Um, but I do want you to kind of, you know, highlight, um, you know, the Council of African-American Parents, um, they yeah. are one of our biggest partners here at the CEO unit, yeah. um, and they're obviously doing a lot of great work. Your, you know, your mother started that and you came yeah. up through it. So kind of go ahead and shed some light on that for those of our listeners that might be interested in, you know, looking them up, participating, things of that nature, because I think that's a yeah. really amazing program.
1: Yeah, and I think it's an extension of what was happening in my house, right? So, like, what you were just talking about, like, all these things you're encountering in in class. Council of African American Parents is this beautiful thing where on Sundays, right, um, and depending on your program, if it's every Sunday or every other Sunday or one one Sunday a month, where you go in and we take over the entire third floor um, of a building in Cal State Fullerton, and it's just black people, right, black students, black parents, and a lot of folks, a lot of us still don't have that. We, we've never had that. So to imagine to be able to sit next to and it's all black people and to be able to be who you want to be all the time. Right. Some of us still feel like we could do that even in the mix of these other spaces. But a lot of times other folks don't have that affirmation. Right. And it's great to see the students have that connection. But even more so to me, for the parents, i like, whoo, you know, it's somebody else, some other parent going through this, this sort of thing. So, yeah, the Council of African-American Parents. Started in in 1992, a group of, you know, five families out of Diamond Bar got together and was like, we got to do something about this because they're trying to, you know, suspend our boys and not letting our kids in these classes. There's a lot of racism going on. So what are we going to do? You know, there's power in numbers, right? That sort of thing. And so it's kind of like when you're trying to combat and it's just one parent at a time or two parents at a time. No, we have two, three, four, five parents at a time. It just continues to grow and grow and grow right now we have this arsenal and it's like don't come for us unless we come for you so mm. knowing that they need to take you know people always joke that like when your mama calls they answer the phone right like and so whether that's in a high school or a middle school or even a college campus of this day because they are known to produce top scholars right like so i talked about some of the schools i was applying to but that's not just me these other scholars are going to some of these top institutions as well and when these schools need some black faces, right, even though they're not supposed to use it in different ways, they call CAP and they say, who do you have? Like, who are the students that you have? Like, how can we get them here? Um, So we have our reading circle, which works with students who are in, um, you know, kindergarten through third grade. So talking about reading, they make their own book about black folks and their identity, you know, all this kind of thing. And they read lots of stories and they're writing and then doing these things. So that's our our entry into like our older programs. And then from fourth to 10th grade, we have this Um, PALS program, um, personal academic learning system, where the students then, you know, we we get a rooting in, in who we are and whose we are, right? Which is really important, talking about our ancestry, talking about why you have no choice but to succeed because all these things that you say you don't like or you that might be hard like math or whatever, we made that, we did that, right? This is ours and so contrary to what you you hear or really contrary to what you don't hear because they, they don't include us in, in the history, they don't include us in any of these informations, right? Is that we did this, if it would not have been for us, we would not have this right and so you know we do things like you know we want them to imagine a world without black people so we do this like, oh try to go downstairs oh no you can't use this because we invented this little piece of the light bulb that you know you need to have oh can't use the freezer because that was us oh the vacuum cleaner yep that was us oh y'all can't get in the car because we did the stoplight like all these different things and imagine these students some of them know which is great right but some of them are like what like you wouldn't even think about and it's such a rooting right and so like we also have a you know there's academics that happen in that too but the biggest piece is that we always use through, through a lens of, of culture right and so that's a big piece Like, they have this academic this cultural and this social piece so we're also celebrating Kwanzaa together you know mm-hmm. we're doing these affirmations when people are doing kind of a rites of passage and that sort of thing and so they're feeling the community right that they, they've made this their own community and then the biggest program that we have is a junior senior workshop where we work with 11th graders and 12th graders and they work weekly, every week they have to meet um, from the fall. And they started last week, this, this year, it just started last week, our first time doing it on Zoom. So we'll see what happens. From um, August, end of August to January, it's the mad crunch, recommendations, um, essays, college essays, looking at all these different things. And it's all kind of cumulative, right? Because we don't want our students to just start there. They start way back when. And so we've been grooming them and pushing them and molding them into what we know will make them competitive scholars because we want the students to be able to say no to schools and not the schools to be able to say no to our students, which is really important. And so we kind of ground them in that, we work with them. And as I mentioned before, a key portion of, a key piece of the Council Council of African American Parents is that is unlike most um, of these academic preparatory programs is that we infuse the parents. The parents can't just drop off and leave. They have a program they have a part and they have a role to play and we let them know like ultimately it's on you right so you think about these parents if they're not getting what they need at schools and it's like we have to put the onus unfortunately it's a large burden we have to put that on ourselves and push for these different things for our students and we have to push our students even if they don't want to they need to you know we remind them in other countries and in other cultures where they're in school on saturdays all the time anyway so these few hours that they're doing on Sunday is nothing right like so it's really important i think it's i mean it's almost been 30 years so you can see the longevity of it you can see the importance of it it continues to grow like you know i mentioned jason Wright, one of our top stars we have white house correspondents we have um the guy who's running the right-hand man for steph curry right jerron smith like all these people came from cap these great people who have come from cap and they understand that this was part, you know, some of them got their wives or, or husbands in CAP, right, that sort of thing, but just this great community where people still come back, and they're so thankful, they come back and they offer internships, you know, they try to to help us to continue to patch in people for that, you know, it's won numerous awards regionally, but we work with students you know, on Riverside County, San Bernardino County, LA County, we have, believe it, people come from LA, where there's a lot more black folks all the way to the Inland Empire to do this because they know the rigor of CAP and they know that, um, the high expectations. Like we don't just say, oh, whatever. No, we will demand. And if any of y'all listen, ever uh, get to meet my mother, you will know that uh, you ain't got no choice but to succeed. And she will push you, like literally push you to do what you need to do if, if that is what it takes. Because she has such a passion and a fervor for black students succeeding and getting opportunities. And, it, you know, it's just a burden on her heart that she has, that she does in addition to her full-time job, right? And so I think that that is part of the reason why it has been, so successful because it's it's met a need and it's been successful in in producing results
0: yeah no it and it you said that you know beautifully and it even just hearing you talk about it like it just it gets me excited you know um because it's just so important to make sure that you know our young black students and scholars like they're nurtured, they're supported, and they're taught to believe in themselves, you know, as opposed to like, we're going to get you, we're going to get you to GPA, we're going to get you to test scores, we're going to get you to essay skills. But if none of that is rooted in culture, if none of that is rooted in love for yourself and context of who we are as a people, it, it's it's just not going to ring off the same way and i don't think it's going to inspire black students in particular you know to to pursue things in the same way having that extracultural context and love and support um is so instrumental in making sure that our black students are successful so thank you so much yeah. for um, sharing that piece i kind of want to now kind of take that context you know of how you were raised and you know how you kind of grew up in the council of african american parents and just kind of bring it back to you know where we're where we're at here at UCR in terms of supporting black students and making sure that you know um even though the space may not be made for black students or might not even be welcoming of black students why is it important for Black students to occupy spaces, spaces, especially like spaces like higher education?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm such a proponent of uh, kind of like the past is a prologue for the future, right? So thinking about all those people, all our ancestors who prayed, fought, died for us to be here. um, This is the same thing I, I profess to my elementary school daughters, right? And preschool daughters is that, it's not just for you, right? So it's important that y'all do this in higher education and really affect change, you know, be change agents, be these, these institutional movers and shakers. Because it's you you owe a debt, right? Like we have this debt that we owe to folks who couldn't even read a book, right? Like who weren't allowed to even um, own property, who weren't allowed to vote, and we have these things, so we cannot take any of these opportunities for granted, right? Like sometimes it might not be for you, right, certain types of higher education, but you, you do need some sort of post-secondary education and training. I am a proponent of that, right, that sort of thing. But remembering that it's not just for you um, going in and understanding that there are still a lot of biases, um, you know, racism, a lot of discrimination. And so, like, if you go up into higher ed and you don't act accordingly, that that perpetuates that, right? Like it's Like, oh, yep, they didn't make it. They're not going to do anything like that sort of thing. So I think for us, for black students, um, st- staff and faculty, we have to all hold each other accountable to be intentional, right? We cannot just let four years or you know five years, or whatever the case may be, however long you're there, we can't be passive in that time. I think it's important that you find whatever that thing is that you wanna do or that whatever that wave or that ripple you can make in your section and do it and do it big and make the most of it and make sure that you understand that when you're paying tuition, even if you're on scholarship, your tuition is still paid. Get all that you can, right? Take everything, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I'm always telling students like, why don't y'all ask a question? I'll be paid if y'all sit here and look crazy or not. Make me work for it. Make your professors work for it. Make your counselors work for it. Make all these people work for it because that's, that's why they're getting paid, right? And I think like a lot of times we're taught as a people, you know, to kind of just take what's there right and, and that we have to get away from we have to you know if necessary ruffle some feathers we have to demand different things and it's not to say like oh protest about everything but even just going up to office hours and holding these people accountable for the services that they're supposed to be providing you I think that that is so important and I think we're in a society in our nation but even globally where degrees matter right it opens more and more doors and so I think that's why it's important for black folks because we can't own businesses you know we can't affect the next um, generation of leaders you know we can't become professors without these PhDs and all these different things so it's important that we go and get this validation that the world has said like you know there's a lot of research that said oh what does this degree mean? I don't know, right? Like, does your degree from you know Stanford differ from a UCR degree? When the UCR student might have worked a lot harder and got more out of it, but the Stanford degree, you know, people still think that that means more, right? So go in and make sure that your degree means something to you. I think that that's really important that you're getting something out of it. Um, I just think it's so important because we 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 need to really kind of that disperse into all rounds in society, and so we need to have movers and shakers in medicine and law, right, in the professoriate, right, leaders and all these different things. And so higher education still remains one of the greatest places where you can go and really do anything. At one spot, you can be trained to be, do so much. And so that's why I think it's important. And then you can be filled, right, by your peers who might be doing something else. So I might be a humanities superstar, but my homie is in STEM and kicking butt, right, that sort of thing. And that affirmation that comes from that, like, you know, when you see these um, black folks rising and doing these great things. I think that is so powerful. And I think that that's important because we we owe it to ourselves, but we also owe it to each other to be great so that we can continue to move and press forward in this in this system that, you know, obviously we didn't make the system, but we have to kind of live until we change it and make it something different, right? This is where we are. So we need to really know who who are the movers and shakers. And I think higher education is a great way to learn who that is and get those those networks um, so that we can go out and, and change the
0: world, really. Yeah. And, you know, one point that you made that I really, really want to emphasize is this idea of value or extracting value. Right. Um, it's very. And, you know, when I talk to students about resources on a university campus or at UCR, you know, I always try to ask them, I was like, what's the difference between what something costs and how valuable is the that yeah. is that something, right? So your tuition and fees cost this X, this yeah. much. Now, how much value are you going to extract out of the cost of your tuition and fees? Because if you're just going to class and going home and doing your work, you could you could be getting straight A's and you know, just going to class and going home and doing your work. You're not extracting no value out of your university system, right? You're paying them to do the bare minimum at that part the bare minimum Mm. is the university providing you courses and professors that you can go and sit in and pay attention or not it's your prerogative right but are you utilizing the counseling and psychological services are you going to the African student programs? Are you sitting in on town halls? Are you joining committees? Are you a part of student organizations? Are you studying abroad? Are you, like, are you going to the career center? Are you going to the academic resource center? Are you going to the mandatory office hours that the professors need to yeah. be present for, right? So when we look at the cost of our tuition and fees, if you're just going to class and leaving, you're getting no value out of your degree, even if you do great. You still get your degree. That's fine. But the university is such a unique place because while it does have its issues, um, there's very few other places where you can just be in contact with people who are quote unquote experts in their field. Mm -hmm. You want to start a business. You have tons of business professors that have, you know, specialties in all different realms of business that you can, help to get your business started you want to become a professor or a teacher you have access to these people whose job it is to study these things to research these things to coin new terms new phrases new practices right (laughs) you're exposed to so much and if you're not implementing yourself if you're not injecting yourself into those situations or into those spaces you're letting the university get away without giving you anything but quote unquote your education and we know Education is insanely valuable, right? But without all of that extra context, without utilizing all of those extra resources or talking to people that have access to those resources... Um, you're you're insanely missing out. So I, I really like yeah. that you kind of emphasize that point on value. And if
1: I, if I can, and those networks matter, right? So you mm-hmm. talk about not going to office hours or not even going to class, Would you need a letter of recommendation, and all I can say is you got an A, but I can't give any color, that is not a strong of a recommendation, right? And you never know when those networks will come into, into play, right? You think about even, and not to make it political, but you think about what's happening, you know, we just got our new... Um, VP candidate, right? Colin Harris, right? Like, and think about how she's tapping into these networks, right? Like, hey, my source AK, that's just the network she had from undergrad, right? Like, calling out Howard University. Like, so you pull all these folks in and then you have this network that you can tap into for whatever the case may be, whatever you're trying to do, right? So if you're getting involved and you're being um, intentional about these spaces and, and adding to these networks, you never know when it's going to come in handy and you, and you need that. And we know um, the network is often how you get connected, right? It's not even so much. You might not be the most qualified, but you know, somebody, right. That helps you get into the door. And that's, the and way that's the how these,
0: name. that's how these board of regents got their position. Right. So I'm just saying,
1: And it matters so much. It matters, so we have yeah. to be, get those connections and know who the power players are and, and sometimes like I laugh and students laugh when I tell them, I say, you don't have to be lost to go to office hours. You can know the answers, but still ask the question. No, he don't have to know or she doesn't have to know. The professor doesn't have to know that you know the stuff already, but they want to see that you're engaged. They want to see that you're sitting there. Like, you, you just have to make the time and, and, you know, you don't think about it. But it matters so much about these different things or, you know, seeing if you can get an internship or, hey, like, can I come and shadow you? Because I'm potentially interested in being then you know the the dean of student affairs or whatever like can i come and watch and see what you do like i mean that's important we don't think about it because we're just so focused on getting our grades and getting up out of there or a lot of times for us getting our grades getting our job because we have to pay for what we have to do right and so we have minimal time to do these other things but those other things are sometimes the thing that lasts beyond the grades right Mm -hmm. like that last beyond anything else so i think it's important
0: no, yeah, definitely. And it, and again, it, it just goes back to that idea of value, right? And extracting value out of something. Um, so yes, thank you kind of for sharing. So we're coming up on the end of our interview. But like I said, I do kind of want to circle back to the conversation we started at the beginning in terms of possible solutions to these governing boards and different institutions. And even here at the UC. So, you know, a few weeks ago, we saw the black student union put forth a list of demands to the academic Senate um, and they got a lot of their demands met. And so again, that speaks to the level of engagement that the black community, specifically the black students at UCR have and how it benefits all students on the campus, because Every single student benefited from that list of demands that was set forth. And so kind of with that context, when we're thinking about solutions, when we're thinking about these governance boards that kind of police themselves and only answer to themselves a little bit, um, how can we as staff and faculty, but even more specifically, our students who are oftentimes leading these charges. What are some of the solutions that we need to be thinking about or working towards as it pertains to, um, you know, regulating these governing boards?
1: Yeah, I mean, welcome to my research life. Right, <laughs> I, It's hard. I mean, I, I would just preface it with that. Like it, it's a really hard thing because they're so hard to access at first right so I mentioned like I do you know a lot of my work is qualitative so I do a lot of even um, interviews with these folks and first you have to jump through the hoops of getting it approved and then talking going through their two three four five secretaries right and then finding time on their thing and then you know a lot of them are businessmen or um, lawyers and then they want you to sign a non-disclosure you know and so they don't ever want to be seen in a bad light and so really just getting at the real is hard right um, we know that for public institutions, they, they, they govern under a thing called Sunshine Laws where everything's supposed to be out and open, but even they'll tell you and everyone knows that Sunshine Laws made it worse because all they do is they have these closed meetings, they do all the stuff and get all the friction out, and then when they come out to the open meetings, it's like, we agree, we all agree together, let's just do this and get it done, and so it's really counterintuitive to what we're trying to do. Um, so I, I would say the, the, the difference is, is like if the more we can have starting with even just undergrad students be more informed about it and holding them accountable, so going to meetings, right, and, and speaking, trying to get on the board, right, the student region position, UCR had one a few years ago, um, and, you know, really trying to affect change and be a voice. I think that that's one of the ways because otherwise these governing board members may never have an interaction with students and might not know what some of these issues are, so I think that's really important. Um, another way, I mean, it sounds, it's hard to, I mean, but we have to have people who get to these upper echelons and who could be movers and shakers and get in there. Right. Like, and so it's not that we never have black folks, right. Like we have some, you know, that have come up and that sort of thing, but it's important that not just black folks, but Brown folks, like everyone, we need to have a diverse, um, diverse perspective, um, perspectives. And so something like, you know, that I look at in my research is, um, we want boards to do more, but they don't know how, right? And I'm not saying that to give them an out, but they really don't know how and they've never had to, right? Like they've never had to to think about race. They've never had to think about money. And so these are things that are really important that we need to force them to think about. Like how can we force them to be thinking about these things? And so I think the ways in which we could do that um, is important because they are, you know, like you mentioned, making these decisions. And then I think we have to just continue to hold them accountable. Like, you know, a lot of folks are excited about, you um, president drake coming in and doing these things and seeing what happens and i you know i want people to understand like he's gonna have a lot of pressure he still has to answer to the board right and these boards still don't look like what he looks like and granted he's this phenomenal leader um and you know i'm on the ucbac um, steering committee for the the entire system and he was one of our top um choices that we've said hey y'all need to consider this guy because we think he's he's great but even his hands are kind of clipped because he has to you know, answers to this board. And so it's really important, I think, that we kind of get pushed for some, at least mechanisms to figure out how can we have some qualifications for this role? How can we diversify what's happening? You know, the community colleges, which are the most diverse boards in all different ways, gender, race, all these sorts of things, it's because they they do it by, often do it by uh, region, right? And so you have to represent whatever community college district you're you're talking about, right? We don't have that in the UC. Um, The Cal State Board of Trustees is not that way either. So thinking about different ways to appoint and and, um, select them. But students, I think the the biggest thing is the more students who know about this, the better, because then it's like, then somehow you get to reach them in some way, and I think that that's really important. But the knowledge is is the first part, because like you said, like, yo, you didn't know. A lot of people don't know, like, And then even thinking more about just not just boards, but the entire system of shared governance, right? Where you have like the board and you have faculty and all these different things, like, there's a way that this institution is supposed to be run right? And this is your part, this is your part and share doesn't mean equal, right? But everyone has a role to play. The more we hold and understand how this thing works, that's how you get better at it. You think about, you know, when you really want to be a great athlete, those who study the game and know the game, those are the best players. It doesn't matter how athletic you are. If you don't know the game and the way to work the system, you're not going to be able to, to really affect as much change. So I think that that's really important that students just continue to learn more and more about how universities work and i think that that needs to be a a piece that every student no student should be able to leave the campus and not know shared governance not know how universities are run you know i think it's as important as learning science and humanities and all these different things at least a class to say here's how it works so you know where your money goes who do you need to talk to you know thinking about organizational chart all these things that we would miss if you never took a class like that or never heard about i think that that's um it's a shame that people can leave and not know really any how education and higher education works. so
0: yeah. yeah no 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 doubt thank you for um sharing that because awareness you know is at least half the battle, right? Once you're aware yeah. of the issue, then you can at least start, you know, formulating thoughts on how to tackle it. And so, you know, our final question, I definitely want to end on a little bit of Black optimism, right? Kind of <laughs> <laughs> kind of carrying forward that tradition, you know, that you laid out for us earlier, like, right, our ancestors and You know, their their ability to say not in my lifetime, but in their lifetime. Right. So just. Yeah. So just keeping with the spirit of that, um, you know, what 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 is your one of your most optimistic visions of the future as it pertains to black scholars um, abroad or in general abroad? But, you know, specifically here at UCR.
1: I mean I'm so hopeful I think black folks are the most optimistic people on the planet we've had for better or worse (laughs) because we're also the most formidable right like we've had to endure the most and I'm not saying like oh I'm not one of those people like oh slavery did this I'm not one of those people at all don't get me don't get it twisted right I don't think that but I do think that we've endured more than anyone else has had to endure so we know that there can be change we know that that we can advance and you know like whatever wherever we are now is not where we have to be. Right. And so I I think that we are a great example of that. So I'm optimistic that, you know, in my lifetime, even in my my children's lifetime, all my children were born under a black president. My Mm -hmm. parents couldn't say that. You know, I think about the progress that we've made. And granted, it's not fast enough. It's not deep enough. It's not long enough. Right. But we have had flickers of these great things that are happening Um, all too often, though. Still, we still have too many firsts for black people, the first, you know, President Drake is the first black to run, um, black person to run the U.C. It's like, what a shame that we still have the first, knowing that all that we have and all that we are capable of. But we have to continue to do that. So I'm optimistic that the the students at U.C.R. will go out and be the first, and if someone already was the first, be the second. But I think we have to be intentional about going out and doing something important, right, and not. And not resigning yourself to just be okay. Like, don't do anything just for a paycheck, right? Doing something that you're passionate about, doing something that you know will will have um, ripple effects and have change. You know, like my mom always talked about, you know, and, it, and it's biblical. And Luke, right, talking about the who much is given, much is required. You have been blessed, whether you want to believe it or not, to get to this point. There's somebody who took an extra job. There's someone who stayed up all night. There's someone who X, Y, and Z. And so you owe it to us to continue to, that legacy. And that's, that's something that's ingrained in us. And, you know, we're one of the, the few people who understand that more than anyone else. Like, if we're not together on this, we, we can't succeed, right? We have to get together. We have to coalesce and all these different things. So I think my optimism is just for for black students at UCR to find their passion, right? Like that's one of the things talking about the value of of education. Like you might've thought, oh, I want to do this all my life, but then you get here and you want to do something else. That's okay. But do that and do that great, right? So take all that there is there, all the knowledge and resources and networks, take that and then go forward and do more, right? And then figure out how you can open up the door a little bit wider or bust the the thing completely down for the next people to come in. Um, I think- you know, connecting with other black folks on campus is really important. I think that's something that we're still working on, um, you know, because there are always going to be for you know, some core people or some core places, but I think like really just getting that synergy together, not just across students, right? But the students even connected with the faculty and the staff and like, we need to even be more of a unit, um, I think as we continue to try to affect change on campus, because there'll be things that students can do and can push for that faculty can't, right? But then there are also things that students can't do that faculty can or staff can, you know, admin can and that sort of thing. So the more that we can get unified in that, I think that's really important. And I, I'm just optimistic that folks would just maximize every opportunity and resource and never think that you can't, right? Like even before someone told you you couldn't, don't think that, try it and see what's going on see what's happening and then demand the best. And if you don't get that, then, you know, pushed in a different way or you know if you wanted it a, but you didn't get it figure out how you can get it the next time right or how can you make that a learning experience or learning opportunity but I think that students just really you know I think college is one of those times those college years are some of the most important in your life right where you're out of the, the shadow of your parents and you're coming into your own thing so you really have to figure out what is it that makes me happy what is it that I could be doing you know my whole life and you know this generation they're gonna be changing jobs they say but so that means you need to get these core skills that are transferable right networking skills like all these different things and so i'm hoping that they just suck ucr drive for all of that and demand more like and demand more representation of folks who look like you in all those services right demand more faculty that are black demand more staff that's black especially in you know mental health services or health services in general, demand more leaders um, and and admin that are black. I think that's, that's your right, right? Everyone deserves to see themselves in those types of positions. And I think that that's really important. So hopefully, you know, our students will also demand that and demand greater and and hold people accountable. So I'm optimistic about that because I have seen students do that, but we need to hold folks accountable because we're paying, right? Like this is what we want. Like you, if this is what you're putting your money in, like, hey, demand the best you guys and i always give this example but if y'all went to like a fast food place and somebody messed up your burger you would give it back right and demand like hey i'll pay for this get take off the pickles like i said you know whatever the case may be but we don't do the same thing with higher characters like oh okay and we have to change that we have to change that that we we can ask questions we can demand more um and sometimes we're not gonna get the answer we want but by asking the questions then the next time i bet you that those admin folks are thinking about like well, what if they, you know, and that's how it starts. Like, that's how this whole process starts. Because then they get, I don't want to say like scared, but then they start to worry about, okay, well, I have to think about these folks too. And so if we're not, if not thought about, then they're not going to change anything on our behalf either. So I think that's important.
0: No, yeah, beautiful. And, um, you know, my dad used to always tell me and he always used to make me mad, but it's true. Closed mouths don't get fed. Hey, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> if you hungry and, you know what I'm saying, you need your, your something. Your dad grew up
1: with my mama. saying She said the same thing. Oh, yeah. what's the worst that could happen? They're going to say no, but well, you ain't
0: yep. going to get that anyway. So yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. So no doubt. I think that was beautifully said. So, you know, thank you for sharing those sentiments. Um, right. Dr. Rawl. again, thank you so much for coming on Blue Gold, and, yeah, Blue, Gold and Black. We were super happy to amplify your voice and definitely hope we can have you on again in the future to really start unpacking even more of this question about equity and governance bodies and making sure that you know black folks and black students in particular can make sure that they're affecting change um efficiently right effectively yeah. so Thank You so thank much you for, for having being here. This was here. great.
1: Um, I know I talked a lot, sorry, y'all, but uh, <laughs> come take a class and so you'll get it fired up about it too. So, yeah.
0: exactly, exactly. So, look out for Dr. Raw. Um, you can find her at the Graduate School of Education. Quick Google search, do your Googles, you'll find her real quick. Reach <laughs> out to her, um, you know, she'll be more than happy to support you. So, thank you so much, Dr. Raw, and we'll Thanks. check you guys later.
1: All right, take care.
0: All right. Thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. This program is produced by the Community Engagement and Outreach Unit of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of California, Riverside. Learn more about attending UCR by visiting admissions.ucr.edu. And be sure to check out the description for other useful links and resources. Help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing. And be sure to check out our podcast videos on YouTube. Catch you guys later.